0: Welcome to Why Am I Just Finding This Out? I'm your host, Kristen Stovern, women's health clinician for over 20 years, practicing in all areas of women's health with a passion to educate, empower, and leave a legacy of better health for women. Welcome to Why Am I Just Finding This Out? We are welcoming back Dr. Ronick. Kara is here to talk to us about vulvar care. Interestingly, we all need to learn more about our anatomy and understand the female body, which has been mystified from many of us. And she's going to walk us through some insightful points and hopefully draw attention to an area that many do not like to talk about and is considered taboo. Kara comes from a long history of a passionate drive for change due to her personal story, and then the desire to bring a voice to women, and empower them. This is a conversation for a mature audience, so please use discretion for those around you when listening. We are talking about intimate and sexually related topics that may not be great for young ears. We're excited to have you, and please, again, enjoy the show. Welcome to another podcast on why am I just finding this out? This topic today, I'm so excited about. The reason why is there are some words that people just don't want to say, and particular parts of women's bodies, but we are here to talk about it all and let you know what you need to know about your own girl parts. Today's topic is on vulvar care. That's vulvar, V-U-L-V-A-R. It is a really important part of your body. Many just call it their vagina. But we're talking about vulvar care and our guest today that you have heard from before, Dr. Kara Berg-Ronick. We talked before on trauma-informed care, which please go back and listen to this. So very informative. Every single one of us needs to listen to this podcast. All of us have some sort of trauma in our past and recognizing it for what it is and how it affects us moving forward is super important. She has many hats, and her hat as a sane nurse and trauma informed care advocate, educator, and former is huge. But reproductive care in all ways is where her passion lies, and allowing women to understand their bodies, their parts, how they work, what it means, why it's there, and all things is a huge part of what she does professionally. She's given us permission to call her Kara, so I will be referring to her as Kara today. Welcome, Kara. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm excited to continue the conversation.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing your vast knowledge, and this is wearing a different hat, but certainly part of your professional life and what you do for women every day. And so having this conversation about what is a vulva, what's a vagina, what's it all mean, what's it for, how do we take care of it? really am excited for this conversation because the number of times over the years I've had women say to me, why has no one ever told me that? I didn't know that. Completely unfamiliar with their own parts and how they work and what they're supposed to do with them.
1: Yeah. Well, when I heard the title of your podcast, this is the conversation that comes to mind. (laughs) Yes. I always say I'm not a big life purpose person. I know some people really feel called to something and all the things, but that's never really resonated for me. But I do think that if I had a calling and a purpose, it's bringing light to dark places. It's opening with the things that are hard for people to talk about and normalizing them. There are so many things, you know, our last conversation about trauma-informed care, we touched a bit on domestic violence and sexual assault. That, again, could have been its entire own conversation. There's so many things, especially as women and in sexual and reproductive health care, in particular, that we just don't talk about, whether that's infertility, whether that's pain, whether that's violence, whether it's orgasms, like we're going to talk about all of it, whether it's what looks normal, what smells normal. So these are the conversations I love to have. I had the great honor for a portion of my career to work in a pelvic health clinic where we focused on vulvovaginal disease, on women's sexual medicine, and on urogynecology, which means urinary incontinence, which means leaking urine, or what we call pelvic organ prolapse, where parts of our reproductive systems can actually start to sort of descend, slip down outside of our bodies, all of these things that happen to so many people, and we just don't talk about them, which means that we all think we're alone and we are not alone. So that's what I hope we're going to talk about today.
0: Well, it's funny that, you know, I love how you discussed where your other hat is and your expertise in pelvic health and reproductive health, and certainly the urinary incontinence and prolapse portion of that is reality and part of much of my professional life and yours as well. But I am going to say that this is a particular passion for me. And the reason why is for me, I was the only female in my house of a mom that grew up how she did without going into details on that. No one taught me that I was going to have a period, that how I was going to take care of that, what a tampon was, a pad was, how to use them. No one taught me my body parts. You did not discuss it no one discussed it. If someone were to ask me now whether my grandmother had her uterus or ovaries or when she went through menopause or what her periods were like or any of those things, I would have no idea. And so that part of being female was so taboo and something not to be mentioned or discussed and something to really be embarrassed by so that when I was around my friends if they did have a normal dialogue themselves, then I felt even more ashamed and embarrassed because I didn't know. I didn't understand. And no one taught me that. So really one of the ways that led me into wanting to care for women and being very passionate about educating about our bodies, our menstrual cycles, and how everything works and what's normal and what's not normal, because no one did that for me. And I know what it created for me. So that is truly a passion of mine. And I love to have this conversation with you today because this is what women want to hear. And this is what women want their daughters to hear because many didn't have anyone talking to them about it either.
1: Yeah. Although I would also argue that sons need to hear it too. I think we should all know, we should all be educated, but yes, yes, of course, empowered about your own body. Absolutely. It's yours, right? There's nothing to be afraid of.
0: Right. Well, you'll love this because I've always normalized the conversation on my house. And I do think it's important to call all of our anatomy by the names that they are and not cute names, code names, whatnot, for our children's sake as parents. One of my best friends will walk into my house and the way she says that she's there is she'll say, there's another vagina in the house. (laughs) Because I have all boys. Yeah, And she knows that that conversation is open that if they have questions, the dialogue is appropriate. If they've heard me on the phone with a patient talking about that patient's discharge and going through the questions, determining if their water broke and they might be preparing to have a baby, they have heard those conversations in the kitchen when they're three and four years old. And most have not heard that. So that normalized conversation in our house is very accepted and just what it is. Anyway, why don't you start off with what is a vulva?
1: Yes. Okay. (laughs) What is a vulva? This is so important. People talk about boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. And first of all, let's step back and say, we know that that is not always true, that gender is a social construct and all of the things, and that there are some boys with vulvas and vaginas and some girls with penises and all of the things. I want to lay that foundation, first of all, and also beg your forgiveness if we do sort of slip into a gender binary as we're discussing this, because it is where most of the research is centered and also sometimes for ease, which also can be for laziness, but I'll say for ease. So I'll beg your forgiveness there as we continue the conversation. But when we talk about vulvas, as you said, Kristen, people often call it a vagina, but a vulva is what is between the legs of someone who is assigned female at birth. So if you sat down right now cross-legged and took a mirror between your legs, what you would see on the outside is vulva. The vagina is the inside part. It's where a tampon or a penis or a toy goes or where a baby comes out. That's the vagina, it's inside. So when a patient comes in, why does this matter? When a patient comes in and tells me that their vagina is itchy, but they're actually itchy around their clitoral hood, that's actually not the vagina, that's part of the vulva. And so having the right terms helps you to get the medical care you need. It helps you to explain to partners or lovers What parts feel good and what parts you want avoided or whatever else? And then also the language matters for safety. You mentioned about using correct terminology with children. And we've certainly heard sad stories of young children who were going to take a dark turn, who were experiencing sexual abuse, who made an effort to disclose, who maybe told their teacher something like, daddy put his pen in my pocketbook. And the teacher didn't recognize the disclosure because the teacher thought that the child was describing playing dress up or a game. And if they had had the language to really say what they were were meaning to say, that the adults could have picked up on that. So it matters for safety. It matters for health. It matters for well-being and pleasure and joy. And it matters because, again, it is your body. And so you should know all about it.
0: Yes, I love it. And regardless of what sexual reproductive anatomical parts that we have, we need to know how to take care of it. How do you take care of a vulva? And that, of course, we can break down to labia majora, labia minora, the vaginal vault, et cetera. I think that's all important. But how do you take care of your vulva and vaginal tissue?
1: Absolutely. So are you ready? We're going to rock your worlds here if you haven't heard this before. The vagina is a self-cleaning oven. Okay, it needs no soap. It needs no products. So all of these products that make you feel like your vagina is meant to smell like summer rain are BS. I always say they're created by men who hate women. I don't actually know who owns those companies. Don't want to get myself in trouble here with corporate whatever. But all of those products are hooey. Your vagina is perfect as it is. Now, if there is a foul smell, a smell like rotting fish, something like that, like there are certain infections like bacterial vaginosis or trichomonas that can cause a truly bad odor. Again, often like really a smell like like rotting fish. That's a time to see a medical provider. But your vulva and vagina are perfect the way they are. There is no wipes or sprays or soaps that are necessary. And in fact, those products can change the pH of the vagina and make it so that the good bacteria that are meant to live there, because when we think about the vagina, the internal place, it is dark and warm and moist. And this is a perfect place for bacteria. That's what bacteria like. And it's full of good bacteria. And when we change the pH, those good bacteria aren't as happy there. And so they leave And then that leaves room for sort of worse bacteria, yeast, other things to come and cause problems. So when we use these products to clean, again, you can't see my air quotes. I like to air quote on podcasts. It's not very helpful. (laughs) To clean, we're actually making things worse and potentially doing damage, potentially causing irritation, contact dermatitis, all kinds of things like that that can really lead to problems. So vaginal discharge is meant to be there, and it's part of the action of self-cleaning. So discharge is normal. It is not normal if it itches, burns, smells really foul, or turns strange colors like green or yellow. Really anything that's different than is normal for you, although... Let me back up and say it's normal for our discharge to change throughout our menstrual cycle, especially if we're not on contraception. So some variation is normal. But if it's not normal for you, that's a good time to go see a healthcare provider. But discharge is supposed to be there. Even discharge that stains your underwear like it is meant to be there. So I think I'll I'll leave it there. Bottom line. Best way to clean your vulva and vagina is water and your fingers. No harsh scrubbing, no douches, again, no perfumes or sprays or anything like that. Just water and your fingertips. And of course, you're going to go ahead and soap your belly and your butt and the mom's pubis where hair grows, right? That's that like sort of fatty pad where hair grows on the front. And so some soap will run down and that's okay, but you don't need to put anything into the vagina and you really don't need to get soap anywhere like between the lips. That is space that takes care of itself. That
0: piece of education. So helpful for so many because they don't ever hear that. And I'd like to add a few caveats to that. If you don't mind, since this is part of my daily professional life, seeing women all day long and doing a lot of educating on this. We have periods through our menstrual cycle and When you are utilizing pads, tampons, if you are using tampons or pads that have been soaked in formaldehyde, bleached, certainly say scented or deodorant, keep in mind that any of those things can be very irritating to the vagina. I personally are a proponent for organic tampons and pads if possible, not deodorant, not scented. Vaginal tissue is much like our mouth. It can get little micro tears very easily. And so if we put something in that has been bleached and soaked in formaldehyde and scented, and then we expect our vagina to be like, yeah, that's cool. That's no problem at all. I don't mind that. It's just really not what's going to happen. And just another caveat to one of the things you shared about if you have itching, burning, change of discharge, I would also say to a patient... When it first happens and they've had it for one day. Okay, first, are you in underwear all of the time? Are you taking baths or showers? Have you been going swimming recently? Have you been in a lake or stream? You know, what products are you using? Let's step back from that. Give some just general education that if you are never letting your vagina breathe and you're always covering it up with underwear or tight leggings are eating a high sugar diet that's going to allow even more yeast to grow in a nice warm environment that now is holding moisture on, you're going to cause infection. So we can be proactive on how healthy our vaginas and our vulvas and labias are, and even the tissue on our underwear line by giving that tissue an opportunity to breathe, giving it the opportunity to rebalance itself because our bodies are super smart. But we also want to be aware that if you jump in a lake or a stream and you're wearing a wet bathing suit all day long, and then you're eating lots of sugary and gluten and dairy type foods, and you're having a great summer and so much fun, you may end up with the yeast infection because you're always wearing that wet bathing suit and you're in and out of the water all the time and you're eating the yummy stuff. So being a little self-aware that some of the habits that we have every day and we want you to have fun doing things like as soon as you can get that wet bathing suit off, great if you can then just put on some loose pajama pants or shorts for the rest of the day to let everything air out also great and then working on changing dietary habits after that fun weekend at the lake so that then your vagina can reestablish its normal bacteria and it can self clean and it can rebalance before just thinking oh my gosh my vagina is broken
1: <laughs> i think you know one of the things that's so complicated for people with always in vaginas is We don't get a chance to know what is normal and what other vulvas and vaginas look like. It is really hard to see your own vulva. That requires some gymnastics, a flashlight, a (laughs) mirror. And even if you are in an environment with other people with vulvas who are naked, which by the way, we're not very often, but if you are in a dressing room or whatever, you know, we're only seeing that front that again, that Mons pubis. Not that people with penises are often going around hanging out totally naked either necessarily, but at least they sometimes have the experience of walking by a urinal. People with vulvas and vaginas very rarely get to know and understand what's normal. And I think as pornography is more and more accessible and common, a lot of times the images of vulvas that we're seeing, if we are seeing them, aren't necessarily the most sort of normal or natural vulvas. And so I think it's really important to know the wide variety of ways that vulvas can look that is really, really normal. There's this whole industry now of of labiaplasty, of labial revision, that, of course, every once in a while, there's a real medical reason, but that's so much more rare than just someone feeling insecure about their body and what their body should look like. So vulvas can look pretty much however they want, y'all. It turns out that we've talked briefly about that there's labia majora, which is sort of the outside lips, and labia minora, which are the smaller or inner lips. But on some people... The inner lips are longer and bigger than the outer lips. And on some people, the outer lips are longer and bigger than the inner lips. And on some people, it's asymmetrical. And one side is longer or bigger than the other. And there can be variation in tissue color and all of these things and how smooth or how wrinkled and all of these different things. And truly, all of it is normal. And if you are ever worried that it is not normal that is a great reason to go in and see a healthcare provider. I love it that evidence-based, like we don't do pap smears now until 21. When I was growing up, we went in younger and well, it's really nice to avoid until we're 21. And while that is medically sound, I do remember being reassured when I went for my first annual visit and being told as a teenager, Hey, like, If no one's ever told you before, your vulva and vagina look exactly how they're supposed to look. This is normal. Because again, we don't know. And so if you ever have questions or concerns, you can always go in. And it is always a good idea to ask your provider if they have a mirror. And you can ask your provider if they can walk you through what your anatomy looks like and what is this part called and what is that part called? And to be able, again, it's your body, like you own it and you get to know it. And that's one of the things your healthcare provider should be able to help you with if you have questions.
0: A vulva and and the tissue surrounding it, labias, they can be pink and brown and have little bumps and can have different appearances, like you said, wrinkles, folds. Asymmetry and that can all be normal. Is there a place that you like to refer patients to to look at realistic pictures of different vulvas, vaginas, labias, so that it's not just the photoshopped and altered versions of what is seen more often?
1: So, you know, you got to be really careful. I would not just do a random Google search <laughs> some of these terms. That will land you in corners of the internet that you probably don't want to be in. You know, I don't necessarily have, there's a wonderful website. This isn't for vulvas, but beautiful cervix.com is an awesome place to see cervixes, which is sort of the, the back end of the vagina. It's the opening to the uterus. So it's what you would see at the end of the vagina. I have a number of books. And so if I'm in my office, I usually have some books that people can look at, but I don't know of a website, but I'm hoping and guessing that you might.
0: There is one that I was taught actually at a conference a long time ago, and it's called the labia library. And it just gives you some good depictions of shapes, sizes, if we have different ethnicities, how that color differences may be in the normals. And I, like you in the office setting, have some beautifully illustrated anatomy books that are depictions of what normal healthy reproductive parts look. So I like you, it can be challenging if you just have someone get online and look it up because there's so many different versions of what we would not recommend you go down that slippery slope, but the labia library is pretty good. And go to your library and look up the anatomy books for those that have to do medical training because those have been illustrated for us to learn what's normal, how all those parts look, and then skews from normal. There are dermatological books for the vagina vulva labia so you can see pathology and abnormalities those type of resources sometimes are the best because they're realistic they're not in some way doctored to look prettier again that's a societal term i'm saying because everyone's beautiful in their uniqueness but
1: she's air quoting too you can't see <laughs> we're all using the air quotes
0: today oh goodness i didn't even yes i did do that didn't i i sure did i think that's a habit i'm unaware i have But if listeners out there, if you all have resources that you like and you think that they would be good for the general audience, absolutely DM us because we'd love to hear about it and share it. But beyond what we've discussed, I would be remiss to say that there are many resources that either of us would be opening the door for just anyone to look at, because we want to do that with dignity and respect for us all and in a way that is going to be healthy for us so that we recognize we all have some body dysmorphia where we don't love maybe the way a part of us looks because of something we believe it should look like. And so I just want to be cautious on that. So if I could use your expertise on this, can you give me some skews that are Abnormal. So, if you have someone come in and they may or may not be complaining of a problem, what are some things you look for that were not going to be normal?
1: Sure. So, let's start with sex shouldn't hurt. I think that women, people with vulvas and vaginas get really bad messaging around that because we're sometimes told that the first time will hurt. And so then we think, oh, well, the second time also hurts. And then maybe that's normal because it was like the first time. And then maybe I didn't do it for a little bit. So now it hurts again a little bit later. Sex shouldn't hurt. So sometimes it's as simple as making sure that you're using a good lubricant, ideally a water-based or silicone-based lubricant. But sometimes that means there's something else going on, whether that's a skin disorder that's causing discomfort, an infection, a pelvic muscle dysfunction that's huge. There are actually pelvic floor physical therapists who specialize in physical therapy for the vaginal muscles and then muscles of the pelvic floor, they are wizards. They are the most amazing humans on the planet. I would say I couldn't do my job without pelvic floor physical therapists. Um, so pelvic floor muscle dysfunction can be a big thing. And then there are some actually like vaginal pain disorders. There's something called vulvodynia that basically means vulvar pain of unknown cause, which really means that we've ruled out all these other things that we can identify. And there are treatments. So it's not normal and you don't have to live with it. And that I think is what I want women and people with vulvas and vaginas to hear on so many things. We talked briefly about urinary incontinence, about leaking urine, and it is so common for me to hear well, yeah, I'm getting older, or well, yeah, I had a couple babies. So now I pee when I cough, laugh, sneeze. And that's not to say that it's not common. It's something that happens, but you don't have to live that way. There are things that we can do. It doesn't have to be something that you're embarrassed to bring up at your healthcare visit, or that you think, well, this is again what happens because I'm a woman of a certain age, or well, I've had pregnancies. So this is how I live now. There are things that we can do. So that's, I think, my biggest message it's another reason that if you're willing to do the contortion and the flashlight and the mirror, it's a great <laughs> idea to get to know what's normal for you. Because if you experience a skin change, a color change, a texture change, a new lump bump lesion, that's a time to come in. Because again, you know, the vulva is made of skin, just like the rest of our skin. There are all kinds of sort of skin disorders that can happen there. And One thing that is, I was going to say funny, but really is kind of sad, it's almost like no one wants to own the vulva. If you visited a dermatologist, some dermatologists do a really good job of checking genital skin, but some don't. Some think that that's sort of the purview of an OBGYN. And when we think about the way we were taught to do pelvic exams, it's usually a pretty cursory look at that vulvar skin. The point when we're taught is really about the speculum exam. That's how we look inside the vagina and doing that by manual exam with our hands to feel internal organs and things like that. We're not always taught to do a thorough check of that vulvar skin and vestibular skin. The vestibule is actually a a third tissue type. That's right around the vaginal opening. That's actually where a lot of pain, a lot of sexual pain can happen is at the vestibule. And I think sometimes people in OBGYN think that's the purview of derm and people in derm think that's the purview of OBGYN and that no one's taking good care of the vulva. So for you to be empowered to know what you look like and what's normal for you so that if there's a change, you can come in and we may reassure you and say, Hey, yeah, that's a totally normal variation. Like totally fine. Go about your business. Or we may say, yeah, that's something we need to look at more closely. And I'm so glad you're here.
0: Well, and on that topic, just understanding the normals, the not normals. You should not hurt when you have intercourse of any sort. It shouldn't hurt to touch your vulva. It shouldn't hurt to touch the vestibule. It shouldn't hurt to put something in a vagina that is supposed to be there. It shouldn't hurt to touch your labias. Little lumps and bumps can be normal, Color differentiations of versions of pinks and browns. But anything that is askew from your normal, we want to know about and we want to help you through. I think women feel very comfortable now and hopefully men and all those, how they identify that when they do breast exams, looking for lumps and bumps, they find something that seems unusual. They come in. The same goes with any of the vaginal tissue, vulvar tissue, any part of your reproductive tract that may even include your bladder. And as you said, if you feel like your parts are falling out, but you don't know what parts might be falling out, it's kind of embarrassing for many. But We just want you to feel good and happy and healthy and do the tools to try to help you through that. So one of the things you mentioned is there's different types of skin disorders that can occur on vaginal tissue and on vulvar tissue, labias, and around the rectum and gluteal folds. And that can be eczema, can be as simple as eczema. We talk about eczema and psoriasis on other parts of our bodies. It can happen there too. What does that look like? So if someone were to think that might be going on, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So again, it really depends on what the condition is, but you're looking for significant redness. You might also be looking for for pallor, for paleness. There are several conditions that really show up as being sort of white or just more pale. Some can be sort of scaly or flaky, and some can look more moist, even like Almost like an ulceration or kind of a moist and true redness. So, again, really the key though is knowing what's normal for you. So, that if you're seeing something that's different, you can come in because it just varies. And again, you don't have to worry about diagnosing it or knowing exactly what to look for. What I want is just if something is not normal for you, that you know that you have a provider who will respect you, take care of you, help you to feel not embarrassed. And listen, I've been doing this for a long time on this end of the table. And when I'm on the other end of the table, I still feel embarrassed sometimes. So I I get that because that's sort of what society does to us. But it's worth getting care and getting looked at and you deserve to get that care, even in or maybe especially in some of these more private and intimate areas of health.
0: How would you say that perimenopause and menopause change some of that?
1: Yeah, of course. So, you know, we experience huge hormonal changes around menopause. The loss of estrogen and the vulva and vagina are really hormone-sensitive tissues. They thrive in an estrogen-rich environment. So whether it's using lubricants and moisturizers, moisturizers, you can get over the counter. Lubricant, we think of more for sex specifically to help with dryness during sex. But a lot of times folks who are approaching or in menopause will talk to me about, gosh, it just feels like I'm sitting on sandpaper all the time. And so sometimes using a moisturizer a few times a week can really help with that. And if that's not enough, there are vaginal estrogen options that can really, really help that tissue. The systemic absorption of vaginal estrogen is none to slim to none. It's very, very slim. So even people who don't want to be on systemic hormone therapy or their providers have said that they're not a good candidate for systemic hormone therapy often really can and likely should use a vaginal estrogen. And that not only can help protect the vagina itself for more comfortable sex, for more comfortable sitting, for more comfortable life, it also is protective for urinary tract infections. And that's a big deal because the truth is urinary tract infections kill people. People have symptoms and urgency and are getting up at night to pee and trip on something and fall, right? People die with UTIs, especially in older age. So minimizing your risk of having a UTI. Urinary tract infection is huge. It's not just comfort. It's not just women's medicine. It is life-saving medicine. So talking to your provider about vaginal estrogen as you enter or in menopause is a wonderful, wonderful thing.
0: Not to put you on the spot, but I just wanted to ask, do you have favorite lubricants or vaginal moisturizers for that aging population that you recommend? And if so, what would those be?
1: Sure. So, I mean, you can't go wrong. Like, well, let me take that back. You can go wrong. As we talked about earlier, nothing with scents. That's the biggie. Moisturizers, there's one that it's not prescription, but it's not available at pharmacies. It's called Hyalagine, And that has some limited studies even in breast cancer survivors as being really helpful so that's a nice one again you can order it online you know replens is the like oh gee that's the you know it's inexpensive and it's available at any drugstore and if that works for you that's awesome there's also a moisturizer from Luvina that is nice It has actually has a little bit of research behind it around not treating bacterial vaginosis, but helping to prevent recurrent BV and yeast infections. Again, really small studies, but that's a nice one. I will say there are other products in that line that do have scents. So really just talking about the moisturizer there. Some people like to use like coconut oil or olive oil. Those can, although they are natural, can be irritating. So most like vulvar experts that I know don't actually recommend those. But again, truly what works for you is what works, and again, sometimes that can be good on the vulvar tissue, but not in the vaginal tissue. All those things like that. Um, similarly, even Vaseline or Aquaphor, just a plain petrolatum product, can be really soothing on external tissues. You would not want to put Vaseline into the vagina, but it can be a great barrier if you're having some urinary incontinence things like that. Just a very thin layer. You don't have to be goopy, but a thin layer can be really soothing and protective. And then as far as lubricants, again, what works for you works. There's some amazing like guides that you can find that look at the the real science of it, the osmolarity of different types and all the things. I'm a fan of Uber Lube. I'm not getting paid by any of these people, by the way. There's no, but Uber Lube is a really nice silicone-based lubricant. Silicone-based lubricant lasts longer. Where a water-based lubricant will start to sort of evaporate, get sort of sticky tacky, silicone-based doesn't do that. And so that can be really nice. Some people don't love silicone-based lubricants because they kind of hang around, therefore. And some people find that to be disconcerting also. Silicone-based lubricants should not be used with silicone-based toys, And then again, some people will use oil and that the big caution there is just that oil does not mix with latex. If you are using condoms, oil eats latex. So you want to be really cautious there.
0: So I'm familiar with all those products and I have some of my favorites as well. I think one of my favorite things to say to my perimenopausal menopausal women is that You know, we really, really love to take care of our faces and do the anti-aging stuff and try to keep the skin plump and increase collagen to it. And that's honestly the science behind Hylogen, which was the product she was discussing as scientifically based in studying the use of rejuvenation of vaginal tissue and the tissue actually of the external areas of the reproductive system. So if you look at labia majoras, labia minoras, and just at the entrance vaginally, when you use something like Hylogen you're using the same type of product that you would use for your face to improve the tissue plumpness, resilience, and elasticity. And that's why she's talking about the product. When I explain it to women and I explain compare it to their face, you're using this because you want to try to maintain youthfulness. Is kind of adding youth to your vagina again. And I will absolutely link that in the show notes. It's one of my favorite products. The study that I Remember the most out of that product, and I'm sure you remember the study too. Is they did a pretty large study on women post pelvic radiation, and they used that product two to three times a week for I believe it was six to eight weeks. I may be wrong on that, and there was an 80% improvement in the epithelial cells. So basically, those cells were really plumped up and much more receptive, which would then in turn increase sensation, moisture decrease hopefully pain, dryness. So that is a great product. It is very hard, I agree with you, to find at CVS or Walgreens or Walmart or Walgreens. It is something that you can look up on Amazon or look up online and order it that way. So I love that you brought that one up because that's one of my favorites. Replens also has a newer hydrating product that also has the same plumping, increasing production of collagen type Reaction to the tissue. And that's easy to find too if you look online. And that is also one of my favorites. And then I think pointing out oil based products and the use of condoms and how that will break down, please remember that because say you are in your perimenopausal years and that's your birth control of choice and you're not really wanting to be pregnant. We just need to be giving that information and education.
1: And even in menopause, wanting to avoid STIs, right? Condoms, right? No matter your age. Yes, well put.
0: Kara, whenever you're talking to women in the premenopausal and menopausal years and they're having some urinary incontinence issues or urinary leakage, maybe lack of bladder support, one of my favorite tools in my toolboxes is, is having women go through pelvic physical therapy to improve their pelvic strength and tone because that can really, really improve the support they have for their bladder. And I think that's one of your big tools too. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So like I said, they're wizards, pelvic floor physical therapists, whether it's whether it's pain, whether it's incontinence, whether it's prolapse, they are wizards. Everyone deserves a good pelvic floor physical therapist.
0: Well, and I think one of the facts that I like to share is, you know, in Canada, it is normalized that you are referred for pelvic floor physical therapy as part of your postpartum care.
1: Can you imagine how beautiful is that? We all deserve that. This is a yes. model that we should advocate for. Absolutely. It's amazing.
0: Well, I think all of us need pelvic floor physical therapy because being taught how to strengthen and support your own parts, super important for all of us. Absolutely. So as we wind down our lovely, what is a vulva conversation and vulvar care Is there anything that you would like to share in terms of resources or ways to educate our population more?
1: I love what you mentioned about going to actual textbooks, although with the caveat that those do show the pathology, which is important to know, but also like don't freak yourself out. Just remembering, I think, that variation is normal. So much of what we have access to and see is photoshopped and all of these things so if you have questions go be seen by a provider who can walk you through and help you understand be brave be a contortionist and go (laughs) get out your mirror and get to know your own vulva and remember to trust your body that you don't need these products with scents and other things, that you are perfect as you are. And if you feel like you're not, again, get checked by a provider and get the care that you deserve and also trust your body.
0: I love that. Thank you for saying that and speaking truth and voices into all of us out there. And Kara, I appreciate your time today and all of your knowledge and wisdom. We will share in the share notes again, just as the previous podcast how to find her, and to be able to learn much more about her vast knowledge and all the work she's doing. And I'm hoping to have Kara back so that we can delve into some even more challenging conversations that I think we all need to hear. Thank you, Kara, for your time
1: today. Absolutely. It was a total pleasure.
0: And I hope that you have a great rest of your day and that we are all learning together So hopefully we can move forward feeling empowered into improving our own health and those that are around
1: us. Thanks so much, take care.
0: You too. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of why am I just finding this out? We are facing a crisis in women's health. It is time to be seen and heard. It is time to address medicine and wellness for women holistically. And whatever we do, let's strive to leave a legacy of better. Thank you.
1: This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility.